Today we are finishing up our series we're, we're calling The Big Questions, and we're, we've been looking at some of the big questions that people have about faith, Jesus, and the church. Questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Or does God have a purpose or a plan for my life? Last week we asked the question, is hell real? You can find those sermons on our YouTube channel. But today I thought I'd close out this series by talking about everyone's favorite subject in church. This is the subject that everybody asks me to preach on. I hear this more than any other subject I hear in the church. Pastor Jared, can you please, please, please preach on money? People love to hear about money in church, amen? Y'all love when the preacher talks about money. But today, we're going to wrestle with a question that people have been asking since the beginning of church. It's a question that if, if we were to advertise it, only a few of you would have come today. In fact, we may want to close and lock the doors so you can't run out. But you're here today, and uh, it would be rude for you to run out. So today we're looking at the question, why does the church talk so much about money? What's the deal with the church talking about money? I know you love sermons on money, right? We don't want to tell. We don't want people to tell us how to spend our money, right? It's my money, right? And so I will do with my money what I please. Don't tell me what I can and cannot do with my money. It's the same thing with with the topic of sex, right? Don't tell me what I can and cannot do with my body. Now, well, we're not going to deal with sex in a series. Um, we're going to deal with money. But let me say this about sex real quick. Sex is a gift from God and is only meant for married couples. Sex outside of marriage, church, is a sin and it is incredibly harmful to your future marriage. All right? So that's God's view of sex. We're going to move on now. We're talking about money today. So let's look at something God said through the prophet Malachi. Malachi. Turn to the book of Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. So if you find the book of Matthew, just go back a book. You'll find Malachi. It's believed that this was written somewhere between 500 and 550 B.C. And we don't know. Um, uh, we do know that there was a gap between Malachi and the book of Matthew that lasted about 400 years. If you ever hear about the 400-year silence of God, that's talking about from Malachi to Matthew. Well, by the way, I always wonder, is, was God silent or were we not listening? Uh, I think that's the question between Malachi and Matthew. But um, it's like all other prophets, Malachi's job was to speak out against God's people's sins and to call them back to righteous living. And so if you know the history of the Israelites, you know that they had to be called back quite a few times. But that's just how people are, isn't it? Right? We continuously drift away from God throughout our lives. We're so good at convincing ourselves that not everything in the Bible is really that important. I mean, we know that killing people is wrong, right? But not if they haven't been born yet. The culture says killing, killing babies is okay. We tell ourselves that if God is love, then showing love to someone through sex outside of a heterosexual marriage, that's okay. Because of God's, um, uh, because God knows people's habits of slipping away, from God's law, he sent prophets to call them back. 
His goal was to correct their behavior. And I do not believe he was just speaking to the Jewish people. I believe the words of the prophet have much to teach us today. I believe the words of the prophets are meant to call us back as well. And the passage we're about to read is not only a call back to what God desires, but also a promise from God of what he will do when we are faithful. So let's look at this. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 8. It says this. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Now, you probably know this in life, but it's not fun not getting what you know you should be getting, right? When you know you should be getting something, when you don't get it, it's not very nice. I remember at our wedding, and maybe I'm sorry I didn't want this by you first, but it's okay. Um, I, I remember at our wedding uh, reception in Venezuela, Liam and I never got to eat a piece of our wedding cake. There were so many uninvited guests that crashed our wedding that by the time we had a chance to eat some cake, it was gone. I was shocked, right? I'd never been to a wedding where the bride and groom don't even get to eat the cake. Now, I think Liam was more shocked about how bad of a dancer I was than about the cake. But I was shocked about the cake because I know I can't dance, right? I wanted some cake. But Liam was, she just told me to sit down when we were dancing. You just need to sit down now. Um, but yeah, we didn't get a, a piece of our cake. And that was something that we thought we deserved. I, I mean, after all, we were the married couple. We were robbed of something. Something we should have had. In this passage, we have God himself saying that his people are robbing him. Now, in case you weren't aware, God cares deeply, deeply about our finances. His desire is for us to have what we need and to be good stewards of what we have. And unfortunately, that's not always the case, is it? I think we have mismanaged our finances at one point. I think we all have mismanaged our finances at some point or another, right? I mean, I know I don't need a new grill, but that new grill is so shiny and pretty and it looks so lonely just sitting there in the store that I believe it would be a sin not to give it a good home, right? Sure, we can't afford to go out to eat, but, but cooking something just isn't going to happen today, so we're going out to lunch. I mean, yes, it's true we can barely pay our bills, we're really sure that the new really expensive car has nothing to do with our inability to pay our bills. And plus, saving money is boring, isn't it? I mean, spending money feels good, doesn't it? Spending money is fun. Paying bills is boring. Saving is boring. We want to spend the money we have. The good news is the Bible gives us very good instructions on how to handle our money. And the instructions begin with this passage. This passage gets to the heart of the matter. 
And it is for this reason that sermons about money must be preached in the church. Because it's a call to return or to begin giving to God. So look back at the passage. God tells his people that they are robbing him. Now, their question was pretty predictable. What? You mean us robbing? Like, they were shocked. What do you mean we're robbing you? Like, they were robbing God of the tithes and offerings that were rightfully his. But we will only say the money was rightfully his if we believe that every good thing we have comes from him. If we do not see our income as a gift from God, then this concept of tithes and offerings, it's really going to bug you. But even though you may feel that way, it doesn't change the fact that all the good things in our lives come from our Heavenly Father. But what is this tithe thing? What does tithe mean? Tithe is 10% of everything you own. And so when you get your paycheck, the first 10% of your paycheck should go to God. Now, whether that's out of the gross or the net is up to you. But my father always liked to say it's a matter of what you want God to bless, the gross or the net. But if we don't need, but, but, but I don't want us to rush past this. God is saying that we are supposed to give him at least 10% of our wealth to him. At least 10%. That means he allows us to do what we want with 90%. He gets 10, we get 90. Now in most situations, you and I would say that's a pretty good deal. But when it comes to giving back to God, we balk at 10%, don't we? That's too much. Or we say we're not, we're not able to do that. Or we just believe that God doesn't really expect us to give him money. Plus, don't we know better when it comes to how we should handle our money? I'll share a story that happened to my father. The church he pastored uh, years ago had held its yearly pledge Sunday. If you don't know what that is, that's when people make a promise to the church of how much money they're going to give to the church in the next year. Well, after the pledge, Sunday, one man made an appointment with my father and sat down at, at his desk and and he wanted to share some unfortunate news with my dad. He informed my father that his family were, were just going to be unable to fulfill their pledge. I mean, we're so, so sorry. We're just not able to do it. Now, what the man did not know is what my father did know. And so my father, after the man stopped talking, my father looked at him and said, So let me ask you, how are you enjoying your new boat? And the man just went white. See, the family had made a pledge to the church and to God, but that shiny new boat was more important. I mean, everyone else will give enough. Our tithe is not really going to be missed. And plus, we know how much of a blessing the new boat will be to our family. And doesn't God want to bless us? Church, that family robbed God. And I'm aware that sounds really harsh. And yet I don't know any other way to say it concerning what I read in, in Malachi. And continuing that type of behavior will have harmful effects on us and our family. Look back at what he says in verse 9. He said he's being robbed of tithes and offerings. He then lays out the consequences of robbing God. In verse 9 it says, 
You are under a curse. Your whole nation is under a curse because you are robbing me. You see, disobedience will always lead to pain and suffering. Because the Jewish people have been selfish with their finances, God did not pour out blessings upon them. See, prophets don't show up when it's sunny and beautiful. Prophets show up during the storms. Prophets show up when it's dark outside. Malachi's job was to bring them back to the light, to bring them out of the storm. And in order to get back to where God wanted his people, his people needed to, uh, needed to deal directly with their money issues. Now, people often say that money is the root of all evil. That is incorrect. I want you to hear that. Money is not the root of all evil. Money is not alive. Money cannot make decisions for itself. Money has no ability to tell you where to spend it. I know some folks would love to be able to argue that they didn't really want to buy that ring or the golf club, but the cash demanded it. Now try that on your spouse and see how it goes. Right? We decide where we spend our money. And because we're like dumb sheep, often we use our money to bring something into our lives that does nothing but pull us away from Jesus. As we move farther and farther away from Jesus, our lives get darker and darker. Our unfaithfulness will lead to darkness every single time. I've spoken to so many families who are hurting. I've discovered that one of the main reasons the family is struggling so much is because they don't handle their money correctly. Either they live beyond their means or the husband or wife is spending money recklessly. When we are selfish with our finances, church, God pulls away. Hear that. When we are selfish with our finances, God pulls away a little. Now, here's when you might be thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. We have to pay God to bless us or to give us stuff? Hear me, church. It ain't about the money. It's not about the money. It's about faithfulness. It's about priorities. It's about putting the Lord first in our lives. See, God knows us better than anyone else. God knows what money means to us. God knows very well that his command to tithe is going to be ignored by a whole bunch of people. So let me ask you, why should God bless our unfaithfulness? I mean, really, that's what people are wanting. They want God to bless unfaithfulness. That doesn't work, church. See, the issue is faithfulness. Are we faithful to all that God says, even when we don't like it? The truth is, so many of us will give God this, we'll give God that. We're not giving God our money. Right? We hold on to our finances with a death grip. You've probably heard someone say that when you clench your fist into a or clench your hand into a fist, you cannot receive anything, right? In order to receive something, you must first release the death grip of your finances. You have to open your hand. In fact, that is essentially what God says in the next verses. Look at verse 10 and 11. God says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, 
and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Now, there's a lot in that passage, so I want us to walk through it. In the passage, God not only tells us what he does with our tithes and offerings, but he also tells us exactly what he will do for us if we're faithful. God tells us to give him 10% so that there will be food in his house. What does that mean? Food in his house. I mean, why does God need money, right? I mean, he's God, right? If he wants a taco, all he has to do is speak a taco into existence. I mean, plus, if he even went to Taco Bell, they'd probably comp his meal, right? I mean, who's going to charge God for a taco? So if God can just speak a taco into existence or just be given it free, why does God need money? Well, in this verse, God said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. So let me ask you, do you know where you are today? What is this place? Do you know? Say it if you know it. This is God's house. Do you know that? You're sitting in God's house. Hopefully you know that right now. You're at the Gathering Church, which is God's house, just like Mount Bethel is God's house, just like Johnson Ferry is God's house. God's house. God is calling us to give so that his church, his house, has the funds it needs to advance the kingdom here on earth. See, I've tried to speak a taco into existence, but that has not happened yet. And since no one in my family likes Taco Bell, I'm thinking it won't ever happen. <laughs> Here's the reality. Some people will come to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior through a sermon or through a conversation or through a debate. But others will come to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior through some other way. And typically, those other ways require money. My family's not going to give me money to go to Taco Bell. But if they did, I could buy some Taco Bell. Through our giving, we're able to bless women and children in Marietta who are being held captive in the sex trade. We've not only given money to the table on Dell, but we're, we have also been able to bless them with a Thanksgiving meal and items, and items that we provided them. We were able to do that because of your giving. Some of those people will never hear a sermon, but they will know Jesus loves them by how we love them. So when God says that our giving allows there to be food in the house, he's talking about the church having the financial ability to care for the widows and the orphans and the poor. And that includes the cost of just being a church. A rent check, a salary, all this equipment. Without your giving, we cannot continue doing ministry in Cobb County. And if we cannot continue doing ministry in Cobb County, we won't, able, we won't be able to reach the people that God wants us to reach. This is not the only place God calls home. Right? We believe that when we surrender to Jesus and ask him to save us, that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, he comes to live in us. And at that moment, we become the house of the Lord. And so if we are the house of the Lord, what does that mean in relationship to what in relation to what Malachi said? Well, what is food? Food is a necessity. Food is fuel. 
Food is life for us. See, I believe God is telling us that our selfishness hurts us physically. Giving, you see, is not just a spiritual matter. It's a physical matter. Science has proven that generosity is good for our health. According to Cone Health, giving has been proven to decrease blood pressure and reduce stress. See, generous people are happy people. I have never had a generous person complain when the church talks about money. The only people who gripe when the church talks about money are those who do not give. Givers don't gripe. Hear that. Givers don't gripe. So if you ever complain about this church or any church preaching about money, you need to check your heart. Because it's more about you than it is about the church. Givers don't gripe. Why? Because they know that giving feels good and is good for us and advances the kingdom. And if it's true, it's only true because that's how God created us. He created us to be generous people. Why? Because we were created in the image of God and our God is a very generous God. How generous? Generous enough to send his son to die on the cross for us. And while we complain about God calling us out about not giving him what that which is his, we will flip out if God doesn't give us what we think we deserve. If you see God as stingy, you're going to be stingy. But people who, know, who, who, people who give know that God is a giving God. People who give, uh, people who give so that others are blessed do so because they have experienced blessings from heaven. But it's not just our resources. God lays out what the blessings, it's not just about our resources. God lays out what the blessings will be. In verse 11, he says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. You see, our faithfulness, church, is a shield. Our faithfulness protects us. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I want to be very clear. Bad things happen to everyone. If you don't know that, listen to week one of this series. But what I'm saying here is when we are faithful, one of the blessings we will receive is some protection from our Lord. Now, while this passage certainly pertains to literal crops and vines and fruit, I believe it also pertains to us as individuals. Right? How do you get crops? How do you get vines? How do you get fruit? By investing in crops and vines, by planting seeds, by watering the seeds, by closely watching the plants to make sure they are healthy. God promises the Jewish people that if they are uh, faithful, he will protect their crops. But he also makes that promise to each of us and our crops. So what are your crops? They're the things you're trying to grow. The things you're trying to accomplish. Your goals. When we are faithful, and not just financially, but when we're faithful, God blesses us by protecting us from those things that wish to tear down what we are building with him. Now let me pause here for a moment. I do not believe that if things fall apart in our lives, it's because of our unfaithfulness. As we talked about in week one, bad things happen to everybody, regardless of who you are. But at the same time, 
we must also understand that, that what we expect to hold on to might not be what God wants us to hold on to. So losing something doesn't automatically mean you have been unfaithful. But our faithfulness is the best defense against the, the attacks of the enemy. Why? Because unfaithfulness pushes God, our creator, away. Now with that said, I do want you to really see what God's promising. He promises that, that we will have all that we need. Now you might think you need a new Maserati, but I'm pretty sure you're not going to be able to convince God. But he's going to give us everything we need. But he says something else as well. In verse 10 he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be, may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Bring the whole tithe uh, to him, and he will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. You need to understand what he's saying here, church. There are blessings in heaven right now stored up for you. God wants to bless your socks off. I don't know any other way to read that verse. See, floodgates imply that there is a massive amount of blessings with your name on it. And yet so many will never receive their blessings because they're not faithful to the one who blesses them. Understand this idea of blessing. In another church I pastored, I used this passage to launch what we called the Prove Me Opportunity. And the, the idea was simple. What we did is we invited the congregation to tithe for 90 days. To, to commit to tithe for 90 days. And if after those 90 days, if they honestly felt the Lord had not blessed them in some way, they could write me a personal letter telling me that, and we would give all their money back. Every cent. Now, my finance chair at the time didn't immediately love that idea. But I was able to convince him, and later he admitted that he was wrong. Because I want you to understand, no one wrote a letter. No one wrote a letter. In fact, out of all the churches who have done something similar, I have never heard of anyone asking for their money back. Now, you could argue it's because they'd be embarrassed to ask for it. Sure, that might be what's happening with some folks. I'm not going to deny that. However, because I know Jesus, I believe that most of those people didn't write that letter because they had to admit that they had been blessed. Before we began the campaign, my job was to clearly explain what their blessing might look like. Now, some pastors will claim that this 90-day tithe challenge is nothing but the prosperity gospel. And for those that don't know, prosperity gospel uh, posits that God wants all of us to be financially rich, especially the preachers. This says, the prosperity gospel says that if you will buy me a Cadillac, God's going to give you a Cadillac, Right? However, typically the only person who ends up with a Cadillac is the pastor. Funny how that happens. But I don't believe that God's plan for us is for all of us to be rich. I mean, I wouldn't mind that to be his plan for my life, but so far that's not happened. So then what kind of blessings are we talking about? Well, first, the blessing might be money. I'm not going to say it can't be money. It might be money. Some people are blessed with a promotion or a raise. That, that might happen. 
But I don't want you to think that has to happen. The blessing might be something completely different. At the end of the 90-day uh, tithing challenge, a young woman came up to me, Stephanie, Liam, uh, came up to me and told me that during the 90 days, she won a free cruise. Now, that's pretty cool, right? And I, I, I have no reason to, get, to doubt God that God did that while she was being faithful. But sometimes the blessing isn't tangible like that, right? Some of you are freaking out about your financial situation, right? You're struggling to pay your bills, and now you have to pay for your kid's college. Your financial situation is stressing you out. Your financial situation is keeping you up at night. So what might a blessing look like for you? Would it be peace? Being calm? Not stressed out? Once you begin tithing, your finances become are put in the proper order. It's God first, everything else second. When that happens, everything seems to fall into place. It's funny, as I was writing the sermon, God showed this to me. I would say that the last year has been probably the best year in terms of my relationship with Jesus. I feel closer to him now than I've ever uh, felt, and I'm striving to be more faithful than I've ever been in, in, in my life. Not only has my relationship with my family improved, that is a huge blessing for me, but as I was writing this sermon, uh, I walked out the door that day, and, and a man met me in the front yard. Now, you need to know our house is surrounded by walnut trees. And I hate them. I hate them. Okay, it's, it's a Christian form of hate, but I hate them. The walnuts, when they fall, they put dents in the cars. And, and then when the leaves fall, uh, I have never seen so many leaves in my life. The fire department would be called to my house if I tried to burn them all. It is ridiculous. And so what we did in the front yard is I simply blew the leaves into a long pile along the curb, stretching across the whole frontage of my property. Because I don't know what else to do. I can't afford to have a company come pick them up. Now, it's not ideal, but, but that's all we could do. But then this guy shows up out of the blue. And it turns out that the guy grows pumpkins. And pumpkins love leaves. I didn't know that. And so he was wondering if he could have my leaves. I could have kissed that man. He wanted to take all of our leaves for free. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> this past week, we were at a dinner for Venezuela Now, which is my father's nonprofit and one that I'm beginning to do some work for as well. And it was a great event, and it was great to hear about what's happening in Venezuela with the seminary and the medical clinic, which we've been supporting. And I want to share something with you that was mentioned there. This is how awesome our God blesses faithfulness. The, the seminary has a bus that transports students. And there's a man who's paid to drive it, but also has the responsibility to buy the fuel for it and, and to see uh, to its maintenance. Now, just so you know, getting to the seminary in Venezuela is not easy for a lot of students. In fact, some students will hitchhike for days just to be on class on Saturday and then hitchhike home. And so this bus is vital in getting some students to class. However, Venezuela continues to be in economic crisis. Right? The country with one of the largest petroleum deposits in the world cannot produce enough fuel for its own people. 
So often the line for fuel, listen to this, often the line for fuel is three days long. If you can find fuel. So one day the man knew he did not have enough fuel to pick up all the students and to get them to the seminary. There was no fuel available at the stations in his area. And he definitely did not have enough to get them there and all the way home. So he wasn't sure what to do. Now he could call uh, Bishop Perona, the head of the seminary, and, and ask him to cancel class for that Saturday. But he knew that wasn't the answer. So he prayed. He prayed. He basically told God, I have to get all these people to the seminary. But the only way that's going to happen is for you to provide the fuel. As soon as he said amen, his phone rang. And it was a pastor calling to let him know that a man in his church wanted to donate some fuel. And this pastor had no idea of the man's fuel situation. But God did. Now here's the question. Would God have provided the gas if the man had not been faithful? I can't say. I can't, I can't say for sure. But I do know this man is incredibly faithful. And God showed up and blessed him. There have been times in our own marriage when finances were tight and we didn't know how we were going to pay the bills and put food on the table at the same time. And yet the more faithful we were, the more God would provide for us. My family has been homeless and broke, but we have never gone hungry. We have always had a roof over our heads. Throughout the Bible, we see this relationship between faithfulness and blessings. James, Jesus' own brother, wrote in James chapter 5. He said, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, this is the part I want you to hear. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, do you understand why I mentioned it? Because it's that last line. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. The more faithful you are, the more righteous you are, and the closer relationship you have with Jesus will lead you to have having blessings that others will never receive. See, I want people like my parents and Lean's parents to pray for me because I know them to be righteous people and I know that righteous people are blessed people and they love to be blessings to others. Now some would argue that this line of thinking turns God into a genie who just grants wishes, right? That's not what we're talking about. However, it was God himself that said that our blessings are being held back by a floodgate and that the only way to receive those blessings is to give our tithe to them. While Christianity is not about what you can get, being blessed by our creator is a big part of Christianity. But unless we are faithful, we will never see the blessings God has for us. And we won't, able, we won't be able to be the blessing God wants us to be. So here's what I want to do. The only way I, uh, the only way I know who's tithing in, in this room is if you tell me. All right, I don't know what any of you make for a living. Okay, 
And so I don't know if you're tithing. I mean, I have an idea of some of you if you're tithing or not, but I don't know for sure unless you tell me. So you might be the only one in this room who knows what you're giving to Jesus. You might be someone who just digs into their pocket on Sunday morning and gives whatever you find in there, right? Unless it's a $20 bill or bigger, then that doesn't go in the offering basket. Some of you decide that you're just going to give a specific dollar amount, regardless of how much you make, right? And so while your tithe should be about $10,000 a year, you've decided to pay $25 every Sunday. So instead of $10,000 a year, you give $1,300. I don't know. I, I, I'm, this, I'm making this up. But you do. You know. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to spend some time in prayer. I want each of us, each of us, to ask Jesus about our giving. The first question is, does our giving please you, Lord? Does our giving please you, Lord? If the answer is yes, good for you. Great. Praise God. But if you're not tithing, then ask yourself, okay, how much is 10% of my income? How much is 10% of my yearly income? Gross or net, that's up to you. But what do you want to bless? Gross or net? Can I commit... To giving 10% today. Now maybe your maybe you feel your situation makes it makes it uh, impossible to immediately start giving 10%. But can you believe God will help you if to give 5% or 7% with, with the goal of growing next year to 10%? So if you can't start at 10, which I think is where we need to start, but if you can't start there, you're willing to start at five or seven with the goal of getting to 10. Are you willing to ask these questions? Are you, are you pleased with my giving, Lord? Do you want me to tithe? Are you willing to ask? Because it's a scary question. It might mean you will need to make some adjustments financially. But I promise you, you will never regret it. Some of you are suffering today and some of you are in the dark today. All because you have not been faithful financially. Well, that might rub some folks the wrong way, I'm just reading what God himself said. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will, be, there will not be room enough to store it. Do you believe that? If you do, test him in it. Ask him what he wants from you and then do it. Be faithful and then wait for the blessings. They may be small blessings. They may be huge blessings. But start watching them because the blessings are coming. Test him in this and he will flood your life with blessings. Are you ready for it? Are you ready to, to bless Jesus and to be blessed? So here's what we're going to do. We're just going take, to take a moment to pray. And I just want you to talk to Jesus right now. Ask him about your giving. Again, I don't know what all of y'all give. I couldn't, tell, I couldn't quote it back to you right now. I don't know what you make. So this is between you and the Lord. Are you willing to ask him? You don't have to listen to him. But are you willing to ask him? So pray about it. And then I'm going to pray and then we'll pass the basket. And then we'll stand and sing the last song. So let's pray.
Father, we thank you that you are a faithful God. And Lord, our desire is to be faithful to you. We want to be faithful followers of your son, Jesus Christ. We want to be faithful in how we live our lives. We want to be faithful in our giving. Lord, you know the power money has over so many of us. In fact, money for many of us is an idol. It is a thing we chase after more than anything, even more than you. So, Lord, if that's anyone in this room today, if they know that they have stolen and robbed from you, Lord, I ask that they would repent and that you would let them know right now you love them madly and that you forgive them. And it's okay. Lord, whatever you want from us, just speak it now. Lord, if we need to begin tithing, tell us now. If we need to move beyond a 10% and go to 11 or 12 or 15 or 20%, let us know that, Lord. And then, Lord, give us the strength to be faithful. Not just faithful today when it's a little easier, but faithful uh, in, a, in, in three months when, when things happen and, and, and there's unexpected bills. Help us be faithful, Lord. First and foremost, because we love you. Secondly, Lord, we want what you have for us. Because what you have for us helps us to be who you created us to be. So right now, Lord, as we pass this basket or we give online, let us be faithful. And let us find the joy in the giving. Pray this all in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.